Hey everybody, what's up? Yeah, I'm here to kind of read off a portion of what Crystal made in 77, which I will provide a link to her channel at the end of the video, as well as a link to where you can find this on DeviantArt. But Crystal made in 77, um, just like myself and a lot of you out there, has been a fan of Sonic the Hedgehog uh, for a long time. And mostly she's also been a fan of the Archie Sonic comic book when it was around. But, like a lot of us, she wasn't particularly fond of a certain arc that took place later on towards the end of the comic, or at least, you know, heading towards that direction, if you know what I mean. And she basically let her feelings be known in a very long, I guess you could say, essay or statement over on DeviantArt. And this is just part of it right here. Uh, this part actually addresses the Mecha Sally situation, although she does entitle it the Mecha Sally arc, you know, she does talk about other things as well, like the Tails doll, the Knuckles situation, stuff like that. And again, I'll provide a link down below so you guys can check it out. Now, during this, she also posted an image, which I will pop up here on the screen so you guys can uh, check that out later on uh, when you get the opportunity, uh, when you get the opportunity, I should say, to click on the link where the entire, uh, the entire, I should say, um, essay is, or the statement that she made is. Now, she did this back in December of 2019, so about a year and a half ago, uh, but still, it kind of rings true even to this day, because there is a lot of us out there, and ironically, I, I did, as a lot of you know, a live stream talking about this, as well as I did an on-camera follow-up that I posted later on about the fact that, you know, starting tomorrow, actually, uh, some uh, tomorrow, actually, which is the 1st of May, and somewhere, somewhere in between May, somewhere in the middle of May, will actually mark the official, the real official start as to when all this came down, when all this happened. Because basically, 10 years ago, starting tomorrow, Ten years ago, starting tomorrow, is when 225 uh, officially came out. And then that's what led us into the Sonic Genesis arc, which was paying homage, if you will, to the you know first and second original Sonic games on the Sega Genesis. And then, of course, that led us into what would be known as the Mecha Sally arc. So, yeah, starting tomorrow, being the first day of May, the beginning of May, will officially mark ten years since this all started. But um, here, though, like I said, Crystal Maiden uh, 77, you know, she, uh, she did this, like I said, back in December of 2019. And again, like I said, it still kind of rings true to this day. Some of the things that she said. Now, what I did is I copied off what I needed to uh, copy off to kind of read, uh, read to you guys of what she said. And I pasted what I copied onto uh, Microsoft Word and using, and no offense, Crystal, if you're watching this, no offense, Crystal Maiden 77, if you're watching this, but Microsoft Word used its grammar and spelling correction tool to kind of make sure things are worded uh, in a certain way or certain, you know, you know, words are used instead of, you know, like the words um, that you used uh, doing this. So again, no offense, Crystal, uh, if you're watching this, and I'm sure you will be, but, you know, that's just what I did. But again, 
But again, what this does, uh, what this does, excuse me, I just uh, thought I heard something out there. But what this does, or what Crystal does here, is she basically, you know, and this here, this just on the Mecha Sally portion, on the main portion of the Mecha Sally arc, is 10 pages. You want to know how many pages this is in total? Uh, if you just print out uh, the DeviantArt page, and probably if you copy it all the way onto Microsoft Word or WordPad, it's about 27 pages worth of things she had to point out about uh, this entire situation. Uh, but with that said, because I know we're about uh, nearly five minutes in, so with that said, let me read off to you what Crystal Maiden had to say, mostly about the main you know, thing that's going to be going on 10 years officially starting tomorrow in the beginning and throughout the month of May. That is, of course, the Mecha Sally arc. And this is what Crystal Maiden 77 had to say uh, when she posted this originally in December of 2019. This is what she had to say, and I quote, She entitled, well, first of all, she entitles this Finn's Direction Mecha Sally Arc. She entitles it Finn's Direction Mecha Sally Arc. Now, this is what she had to say, and I quote, Penders has 71 out of 193 stories, or Penders has 71 out of 193 stories that are not forced by plot holes. Meanwhile, Flynn has just 45 out of 191 stories that are not completely forced by plot holes. Let me reread that again. Penders has 71 out of 193. I, I said 191. I do apologize for that. I meant to say 193. Uh, Penders has 71 out of 193 stories that are not, she put a capitalized emphasis on not on the word not, uh, that are not forced by plot holes. Meanwhile, Flynn has just 45 out of 191 stories that are not completely forced by plot holes. And she continues on, and I quote, After Flynn writes a lot of filler, we got to the next major arc where he takes the comic in a new direction, changing the status quo, and it sucks. Because this is the start of when Jeffrey is derailed into a betrayer who works for Ixis, Nog, Ixis Nogus and gets him to be king of the Nanite City. See, right there, that's, that's her first problem with the situation of, you know, this whole Mecha Sally thing in its beginning stages. The fact that they took a Ken Penders OC, Jeffrey St. John, who debuted uh, in the prelude stories of issue, the play, prelude uh, backup stories of Sonic issue uh, 18 and 19, focusing on Sally, which led into the Princess Sally, you know, uh, three-part miniseries comic. You know, this is her one problem, and it is a very agreeable problem for a lot of people that have had issues with the story arc in general, you know, despite maybe some good things here and there. You know, the one problem she had with it was Jeffrey suddenly becomes a betrayer out of nowhere. And, you know, this history has with Axis Nagus. It's like, when when was this a thing? You know, when did this, you know, you know, have any relevance to the comic, you know, in the past? You know, she... She's pointing out that there's a major plot hole here that needs to be filled in. It needs to be filled in. And I know some people might say, well, they did kind of fill it in. And that might be true. If not, it is true. 
but still it, it's a major plot hole despite being filled in the best they could you know with it it's still a major plot hole that she felt was unnecessary now continuing on and she says and I quote I could have forgiven this since it's a great okay let me read that and I quote I could have forgiven this since he's a great villain and has cool magic powers. If it was written logically, and either this was just an alternate universe Jeffrey, which, which would work best, or Jeffrey was brainwashed into it. Even then, that's a stretch, since Exus, or Ixis, since Ixis was in no condition to brainwash when he did the betrayal, or if Jeffrey was only using Ixis so he can get good at magic, and then go back to the heroes and fight him. So basically what she's pointing out is that had you know it been done to the point that it was logically written to maybe be an alternate universe Jeffrey that came from another dimension and had these you know and was a betrayer and replaced the real Jeffrey it would have made more sense. But to her it, it wasn't written that way it was written in a way that just you know, doesn't make sense whatsoever. Continuing on, and I quote, Instead, none of that's the case. And was supposed... Okay, let me reread that. Let me reread that. <laughs> Instead, none of that's the case, and was supposed to believe he was always, capitalized emphasis on the word always, always on Exus's side. This creates 16 continuity errors in a row. Eight for the issue where he wakes up Exus. 16 is a staggering, unprecedented amount for one concept. All it does is create plot holes. So, basically what she's stating is that, you know, because of the fact that there wasn't re any real explanation, maybe any real hint, you know, or whatever, or, you know, tease, or Easter egg, or whatever beforehand, that this could be something that was on the horizon... Instead, it creates a lot of continuity errors that were unnecessary and creates major plot holes. Now, continuing on, and I quote, Ixis was established in Return of the King to be able to brainwash an entire city with no mention of him needing a brainwashing chamber with old wizard bones to do so, and somehow he doesn't proceed to do that right away. So Flynn, forgetting that he could do this and making him never brainwash people, to become king right from the start just leads to a giant pile of plot holes that all serve as the foundation for him being the king. So right there she basically states, you know, she basically states the obvious, you know, to anybody that's been a long time, you know, comic reader of the book when it was under the Archie license. That basically Return of the King, one of the Sonic Super Specials that they did, established that Nagus could you know, do this. He has the power to brainwash, manipulate, if you will, control. But Ian didn't do that. And, you know, we, now let, let me say this for Let me say this right now. Yes, Ian. Ian Flynn has stated when he was working on the book during the Archie run that he wanted to basically try to get away from the Penders, you know, story arc or the Penders continuity uh, if you will, along with other continuities that were established to kind of establish his own. Yes, still reference and maybe bring up, if not, you know, make a connection between them, but try to path off on his own 
with the store with you know with the comic kind of give the comic you know it, you know his own identity you know his own legacy to it and by not referencing return of the king you know what Nagus did there is one way i guess of doing that all right continuing on and i quote <laughs> to me. Continuing on, and I quote, it would have been fine, okay, it could have been fine, let me repeat, reread that, it could have been fine to have him brainwash everyone into the city, oh, not into the city, but let me reread that, sorry. It could have been fine to have him brainwash everyone in the city into supporting him being in charge, you know, because he barely does anything evil anyway once he's there, so it's not like, you know, Anyone would have died, and he's the lesser evil to Robotnik, who he wants out of the way himself. You know, okay, and basically what she's stating there is it would have been easier had, you know, Flynn, you know, gone the direction he did, or gone in the direction of, okay, referencing continuity-wise that, you know, Ixis, Ixis Nagus has this power to brainwash people into, you know, you know, acting, you know, like accepting him as king, you know, accepting him as the new ruler, you know, it would have been easier instead of not, instead of going the route he did. And this is what she's talking about, and I quote, Instead, the council siding with him is absolutely advocating uh, uh, because they're not brainwashed. They suck at explaining why they're siding with him so I thought of it as just being meta-logic, and he sucked at fighting Sonic instead of proving he can't beat him. So what she's stating is that instead of like going the brainwash route, you know, you just, the story just has the council siding and agreeing with him that, you know, he does have a case of being the king, <coughs> of being the king which is aggregating, uh, if you will, you know, basically frustrating uh, to accept since, you know, he, they don't have to do this. It would have been easier just for Ixis to be like, I'm going to, for Ixis to be like, brainwashing magic, you know, activate. You can't, like, brainwashing at magic, activate. Pew! And all of a sudden, it's like, the council is like, all hail Nagus, he is king, king, king. That's it. That's it. That's all that would be needed. Or something like that. That's what she's pointing out. But instead, you know, Ian Flynn didn't do that. And that's one of the major plot holes he looks at. The fact that, Ixis is supposed to be so powerful and be able to do these kind of things, Ian Flynn doesn't capitalize on it. He doesn't. So, continuing on, and I quote, The counselors all siding with Ixis, one by one, because he's too powerful, would have made sense if Ixis froze everyone in ice cubes to prove that nobody could beat him and remind everyone that Sonic never actually defeated him in the last fight or in their last fight, and he needed Nate to wish him away with a ring, which would have been natural writing, since of course Ixis would brag. So in other words, she's saying another plot hole is having Ixis, you know, from a continuity standpoint, point out that, you know, you know, Sonic never truly beat him in the last encounter, and it took Sonic getting help from an overlander or a human in Nate Morgan to wish him away with a ring, and also at the same time, remind them of how powerful he is 
by freezing them in ice cubes, a la, let's say, what he did to Sally and Bunny in The Void, you know, which was the um, episode in Sonic Saturday AM Season 2, which is the prelude to the Doomsday Project um, saga. You know, he could have done that and proven a point that, hey, I'm too powerful for you guys to, to, to really, you know, defeat. You have no choice. But Ian Flynn didn't do that. Ian Flynn didn't do that. And this is why, according to Crystal, and I quote, Instead, none of them say that it's because he's too powerful. In Ixis, never does the common sense thing that every or that anyone would do with ice or crystal magic and hold everyone still immediately so he can so they can't fight him. He just haphazardly throws ice and fire around like an idiot when he should know that Sonic's fast enough to dodge that for infinity. So basically, instead of saying, you know, oh, he's too powerful, let's just let him be king and all that, and all that, or, you know, basically, you know, Nagas, as I, met <coughs> as I mentioned, now using his powers to freeze him steel so that they can't, you know, probably counterattack him, you know, Ian Flynn doesn't follow through on all that. Instead, he goes in a different direction. He does things differently. Now, she points out, this is just maybe her brag, this is just, I wouldn't say her bragging, but this is basically her making a point about something from her own personal point of view. She states that even she could have written this better. This is what she would have done in her, for an example. This is what she says she would have done instead in Flynn's place when writing this, and I quote, Even I could have written this better. I would have had Ixus use every single ability he showed himself to have, like turning into the four elements, or like turning into the four elements. This fight scene is written terribly and just generates long-standing confusion about why the counselors are cowering out to, hu to humor him without horrible you know, excuses given instead of, he's too powerful, or instead of the, he's too powerful one. When Sonic's fast enough to dodge almost all the attacks, and he's not showing that he's capable of beating Sonic, Saturday M Season 3 immediately had Ixis free Sonic's feet every time he confronted him. That's the Season 3 webcomic, I believe. He also did this, basically, uh, when he tricked Sonic uh, into helping him escape the Void in the, in the Void episode itself. He froze Sonic still to show him how powerful he is. And then he unfroze him to go get his friends out of the portal and everything while he tortured Robotnik. But still, continuing on, Saturday AM Season 3 immediately had Ixis freeze Sonic's feet every time he confronted him and had him try to brainwash Sonic and Sally right away. In other words, what, even with a, what she's pointing out is even with a web comic continuation which might even be adapted, if not will be adapted, uh, into the um, animated uh, season season that the that team season's working on, you know, Crystal's pointed out that Ixis, even in that, you know, showed that uh, basically, not only is he powerful enough to stop Sonic in his tracks, but by doing so, he's powerful enough to have the opportunity in front of him to control both Sonic and Sally. So, yeah, she's basically, basically what she's doing is she's pointing out very obvious plot holes, and you can tell this already, you know, just by me reading this, and then if you want to click it and read it yourself later on, she's po <coughs> she's pointing out very obvious plot holes that 
you know, Flynn shouldn't have, you know, left open. Like, basically, Flynn should have addressed, you know, these plot holes. Like, he should have taken advantage of, oh, Ixis has these powers, you know, let's just use them to show that he's a threat, and that, you know, the kingdom has no choice but to make him king. You know, if they don't want to suffer his wrath. Anyway, continuing on, and I quote, she says, and I quote, Why did Sonic stop fighting Ixis for even a second with the dark magic beating, or with the dark, okay, let me reread that. <clears throat> let me read that. Why did Sonic stop fighting Ixis for even a second with the dark magic beating sword of light? Just because the counselors were refusing to fight? If he had kept fighting, ignoring them, he could have won by he could have won by now. Most of what's frustrating is that for all I know, he just needs one hit with the sword of light and he could beat Ixis. And they won't even give him the chance to get that. So she's pointing out that you know, Sonic has the, the Sword of Light, and it could beat Nagus, but the council's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hear him out. You know, and to, to her, it just doesn't make sense. Continuing on. Ixis was being too stupid to freeze or trap him in place right away, so he could have hit him in the back with the Sword of Light a lot by now, especially since Ixis was looking at the counselors arguing, and just standing still, which at least would have left him open to one hit. Yeah, so, yeah, you kind of tell that she's noticing all these things that should have been addressed by Ian, in her opinion. And, and what I'm guessing, what I'm getting at, is she's stating that if Ian would have addressed these, maybe the story arc, you know, majority of it wouldn't be so bad. Continuing on. Sonic is so fast that he ran around the planet multiple times just for a race. So I'm pretty sure he should have been able to hit Ixis with a sword, especially by running around him, circling him, and hitting him in the back. He's being massively wimpified to have... Oh, he's being massively wimpified here to force drama, just like in 202, issue 202. No matter how powerful Ixis is, Noxus is... I mean, Oh, no. Okay, no matter how powerful Ixis is, Sonic's fast and has the sword. And all the counselors should have realized that, which is, or, and all the counselors should have realized that, which is why I thought giving, uh, which I thought, let me read that, let me read that. Okay, let me read that. Let me read that whole thing. I do apologize. It says, Sonic, this is what she says, and I quote, Sonic is so fast that he ran around the planet multiple times just for a race. So I'm pretty sure he should have been able to hit Ixis with a sword, especially by running around him, circling him, and hitting him in the back. He's being massively wimpified here to force drama, just like in issue 202. No matter how powerful Ixis is, Sonic's fast and has the sword, and all the counselors should have realized that which, or, and all the counselors should have realized that, which is why I thought them giving up so easily was forced. So in other words, what she's saying is that had Ian Flynn basically had the council realize, oh, wait a minute, Sonic's got the Sword of Light, and he's faster enough, you know, to hit Nagus several times with it and weaken him, you know, we don't have to worry about Nagus being a threat. But that didn't happen. She basically felt that, you know, Sonic being wimpified 
and the count and the council giving up so easily to Nagus's demands or whatever was forced. It just didn't make sense. You know, in her opinion, it just didn't make you know any you know any sense whatsoever. Now, continuing on, and I quote. Sonic and Ixis are both so overpowered that who would win is just a matter of who decides to attack first. Ixis, the quote-unquote, can freeze anyone in place wizard, and Sonic, who can run across the planet in 10 seconds. Obviously, it would have been Sonic who would attack first because he's Sonic. If he was written with a brain, he would have instantly attacked Ixis a ton of times with the sword before Ixis could say, could say anything. Instead of spending the whole fight dodging his attacks and politely waiting for everyone to finish talking first before he tried to get a hit on Ixis, even when Ixis was distracted. So yeah, basically she's like, look, both are overpowered, you know, OP if you will, but Sonic basically being someone that can run around a planet in 10, 20 seconds or whatever, you know, the obvious choice would have been him to win in a one-on-one -on -one fight. But that wasn't the case because, you know, they made it to where, you know, he had to stall, he had to, you know, dodge and all that while the council was like, you know, is Nog is right? Is he wrong? You know, hmm, you know, it didn't make any sense hence to her. Just like it doesn't make any sense to anybody that read the, the story, <laughs> read the story at that point. Now, here's to where we get kind of to the meat of it. Here's to where we gonna kind of get to the meat of it. Hold on, let me check this. Okay. It's checking, so. But here's to where we get to the meat of it, and I quote. The only reason Sally got roboticized was because she was written to uncharacteristically make the, make the stupidest plan ever. Let me reread that. This is what Crystal Maiden said. The only reason Sally got roboticized was because she was written to uncharacteristically make the stupidest plan ever. Sally decides to go with Sonic to the Death Egg alone with him when she has no special powers and would be just dead weight and wasted most of the talents of her friends without even asking Jeffrey with his magical powers to come along, making an uncharacteristic stupid plan to force her being roboticized when she could have brought all her friends to the Death Egg and have it destroyed. Bunny, Amy, and Jeffrey just sat there in the plane doing nothing. Tails plane could shoot a hole in the death egg just fine, so obviously it wasn't. It, so obviously it wasn't. Emphasize capitalization on uh, the word wasn't. So it obviously wasn't really invincible because of the ring matrix, and Eggman was just wrong. Bunny could have constantly shot lasers in the death egg and used her super strength. Emphasize capital on the words super strength and Jeffrey would do all his elemental power stuff and de and they destroyed it easily and they destroy it easily so what she's stating is that Sally doing what she did you know going into the death egg with Sonic and basically originally being turned into Swiss cheese by a turret gun according to Ian Flynn at the end of 225 before that Genesis wave and then having herself be turned into Mecha Sally, you know, basically could have been avoided had, in her opinion, Sally, you know, as a true-to-her-character situation, would have planned out better and said, okay, all of you come on in, let's take out the Death Egg and get out of here. And she has a point there. 
she has a point there because Sally has been known to you know, incorporate her friends in taking something down that seemingly, you know, might be impossible to take down just by her and Sonic's own individuality or even together as a pair. She could have, you know, she could have, you know, you know, she could have done that, which is, which isn't, you know, a bad, what I'm trying to say, she could have done that, which isn't a bad, um, you know, idea, which isn't a bad plan. Because if you go back to 177, which is an issue Ian wrote, which is his 17th issue in, guess what Sally does? She incorporates all her friends to take out this massive mecca that Robotnik is writing in, that he built especially to combat and defeat Sonic, and she uses a lot, and she plans to get, she puts a plan together that basically allows all of her friends that Eggman Robotnik didn't account for to go after it and allow Sonic to hit the, fly, the final blow. And that's what she's pointed out here, that she could have done the same thing. But that didn't happen. And it was obviously, you know, in her opinion, a dumb plan and a dumb move on Sally's part to make. And very uncharacteristic, which is kind of true. Because how many times have I pointed out that she could have easily had Nicole reroute the laser to blast out to the side of the sky instead of straight in her direction, and it would have been a waste of a shot. Would have made more sense, right? But that didn't happen. Now, continuing on, here's what she also had to say about it. And I quote, You know, wouldn't it have been cooler if Jeffrey had been roboticized in the Death Egg instead? He'd do a heroic sacrifice, and he'd have cool powers to be a more to be a more threatening villain. And people don't care as much about him, so they wouldn't be as impatient to get him unroboticized, especially after his betrayal. We could have pushed the Death Egg showing up forwards a few issues and merely had the robot gent sent at the city without it. And Jeffrey would tell Ixis to make sure to have good PR and then emphasize capitalization on the word then, or then, and then he could get himself roboticized in the egg because he would have served his purpose as a villain. So what she's pointing out is Jeffrey would have been a better candidate to go and get himself elf roboticized in the heroic sacrifice instead of Sally because it would have been like, okay, he served his purpose as a betrayer, you know, as a, a villainous betrayer, and thus going through this heroic sacrifice, you know, you know, allowing himself to be roboticized would help to redeem him. But because of what he did in story, you could have had the characters not be in such a hurry to de-roboticize him because they still have to one because they still have to kind of contemplate the betrayal and what exactly they would be in store for maybe once they get to that point. Now, continuing on. And he could have been de-roboticized before Elias's arc later to do what he's do there. We could have had both Sally and him be roboticized, and Sally would be de-roboticized way quicker than Jeffrey, naturally, so the arc could last the same amount of time without feeling so feeling super dragged out and and depressing. So what she's pointing out is that you could have done both at the same time, both sacrificing themselves, and then have Sally be the one that gets roboticized first, so that way, you know, 
you're not making uh, the arc, which you could have continued on for the same amount of time and length that you know Ian was planning for. You could have kept doing that, but not make it so super dragged out and depressing. In other words, it wouldn't have been so down, you know, for a lot of the readers and all that, you know, with you know the whole Sally situation. Continuing on, and I quote, "Oh, uh, Crystal Maiden seventy-seven. This is what she says." The Genesis arc comes out of completely nowhere without bothering to immediately, another capitalization emphasis on the word immediately, to immediately explain what was going on and leaving me confused with several issues until I got the most basic obvious plot hole filled in for me, making me detached and frustrated the minute I first started reading it. It's the most confusing and arbitrary Sonic N1 Sonic 1 and 2 adaption ever. In other words, what she's stating is, to her, it just felt confusing and, like, unnecessary and, like, just completely out of nowhere that we went into, you know, the that uh, Sonic Genesis arc, which, again, was an adaption of 1 and 2. It just felt like, you know, what was the point? It didn't make any sense. Continuing on, and I quote, Oh, uh, this is what she's typed up, and I quote. Since when could a mere Chaos Emerald warp all the Prime Zone's reality like that just because it's in a machine? How could a machine do that, Emerald or not? Even Penders wrote the Genesis way better because he had the villain use the Master Emerald and nothing else to try to rewrite reality to his will, leaving just one remaining. And that made a lot more sense then this arc coming out of nowhere with Eggman having the power of reality, warp of a reality. Okay, let me reread that. Um, let me reread that. What was I? What was I? Okay, since when could a mere chaos emerald warp all the Prime Zone's reality like that? Just because it's in a machine? How could a machine do that, emerald or not? Even Penders wrote the Genesis way better because. He had the villain use the Master Emerald and nothing else to try to rewrite reality to his will, leaving just one remaining. And that made a lot more sense than this arc coming out of nowhere with Eggman having the power of a reality-warping god just to only do that so he can make it so that he can roboticize people who haven't been roboticized before. And what she's alluding to is, one, the crossover between the image characters and the Sonic characters, I think that's what she's alluding to in the Sonic Super Special series. As well, she's also pointing out that basically, you know, it doesn't make sense for the only reason that he wants to alter reality is to just, you know, uh, deconstruct the whole, um, you know, immunity to roboticization so he can roboticize people again. Continuing on, and I quote, if he could rewrite the rules of reality, why wasn't he able to remove the beam immunity entirely? <laughs> Which is a good point. You know, and what she's referencing is that when Penders and Bowlers and all of them used to work on the book, uh, one of the stories that they did was the beam, which was the alien race that had basically abducted Tails' parents and had shown in continuity that they had the power for de-roboticization on a permanent basis, that uh, basically what happened, uh, basically you know, what she's pointing out here, is that 
you know, in story, if Eggman had uh, this ability to rewrite reality the way, you know, Flynn had wrote it, then why didn't he remove the beam immunity entirely? You know, it's like, why didn't you just take care of the beam immunity and thus cause all those that were de-roboticized uh, because of the beam to be roboticized again, kind of reverse course. Continuing on, and I quote, Not to mention, it's stupid that he's still able to roboticize people after Sonic time travels back to before the Genesis wave happened to save Sally, and therefore Eggman's reset button doesn't do anything, and the wave didn't happen anymore. And what she's talking about there is, of course, out at the end of the uh, Sonic Genesis wave uh, arc, Sonic is able to go back in time just before Sally gets shot, which also could have prevented, you know, the beam from going off or the Genesis wave from even happening, and thus, you know, leave things as they were, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case, you know. Instead, Sonic went back and saved her, but, you know, and kind of prevented the Genesis wave from happening, and all that. You know, so... You know, so... You know, so it's just... Basically what it is, because I'm reading this, I'm trying to, you know, figure, I'm going to see what I'm going to be next here. Basically what she's getting at, like I said earlier, is she just feels like, like a lot of us, like, it, it had the potential that has certain things not been, you know, dismissed, if you will, and not overlooked or, you know, ignored, you know, that maybe potentially this could have been good. Continuing on, and I quote, that was the most convoluted excuse for a nostalgia trip Sonic 1 adaption ever, to the point where I found it extremely off-putting at first, because this was right after, this another emphasized capitalization, right after Sally was vaporized. I wanted to see the conclusion of that, and Flynn wanted that too, but his idiots, but his idiotic editor forced him to celebrate Sonic's anniversary with this. So, what she's getting at, uh, as dark as it would have been, is she would have rather seen Sally's death happen instead, you know, and then the Genesis wave uh, probably occur, you know, and, and lead to something else, instead of us being led into an adaption of Sonic 1 and 2. Which I do agree, you know, probably would have made more sense. And, and, uh, and and here's the thing before I get into before I continue. The reason she feels that way, and I think it's in here, maybe I don't know, but she does point out that they could have easily taken this, the Sonic Genesis uh, arc, and put it as its own separate book, you know. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. So yeah, we were left with what we got. Continuing on, and I quote: On the bright side, I do like that the adaptions are a breather from all the drama surrounding it in the main comic. I love the rotor re I love that rotor reprograms a buzz bomber somehow to save the heroes from lava and fight Eggman. That's all I can remember that matters. Oh yeah, and Antron cowardly running from you know Bath cause Sal causes Sally to hug him as a reward for being accidentally useful. It was sweet that Sally Sally held his hand and they talked as if they were as if they were dating. As if they were dating. So, yeah, there was good out of it, there's no doubt. But, you know, like I said, there was good good out of it, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and what she's alluding to is, 
you know, um, there are several times, of course, Antron has reverted back to his cowardly self, um, a la Sonic's at AM. But there are times he that being the cowardly, you know, person he is, accidentally becomes useful, and Sally rewards him with a hug and all that, and she kind of holds his hand. Now, what's interesting about this, and Crystal, you didn't bring this up, is that Sonic takes this as, you because know, Sonic's attracted to her the moment he sees her. And he has that line of, is it hot in here or is it just you? You know, uh, when he's carrying her across, I think, some lava or something. Um, but anyway, uh, but anyway, what I'm getting at is, you know, he sees this and he's like, oh, well, you know, because when, you know, Antron gets captured or disappears uh, later on, he gets trapped in some pipes and all that because they think he fell to his death. You know, Sonic will lose to him as Sally's boyfriend and she's like, no, he's not my boyfriend. Or he wasn't my boyfriend. He was just a friend. You know, so, you know, so that was that. And I, and again, what she's pointing out with them, you know, holding hands, you know, as if they were dating, kind of made that the illusion. All right, continuing on, and I quote, uh, what Crystal Maiden 77 said, and I quote, They make more sense together than Sonic and Sally, of all people, since they have similar personalities. But it was still stupid that the weird... Or, but it was still stupid that this weird Genesis arc was right after Sally was temporarily vaporized. Instead of being a Sonic Universe arc, that would have had nothing to do with anything. It could have easily been a flashback taking place when Sonic was just starting out fighting Eggman. And that's what I was saying earlier when she's talking about it could have been its own thing. They could have put it in Sonic Universe, you know, had it be another time, another place kind of situation, and we would have been good to go. But they had to have it in the main book because, of course, that's when the main, you know, the main story is. Continuing on, and I quote, But instead, it was the weirdest, quote-unquote, justification ever for taking place right after issue 225, which left me confused and alienated the whole time the arc happened, or the arc happened. Constantly distracted by the confusion and what's worse, the fact that the characters in the rewritten reality somehow have faint memories of how reality really was before, really was before even though the past has been rewritten. So they had no excuse to remember anything at, you know, at all about. Let me reread that. Let me reread that. But instead, it was the weirdest quote-unquote justification ever for taking place right after issue 225, which left me confused and alienated the whole time the arc happened, constantly distracted by the confusion, and what's worse, the fact that the characters that the, okay, and what's worse, the fact that the characters in the rewritten reality somehow have faint memories of how reality really was before, even though the past has been rewritten, uh, even though the past has been rewritten. So they had no excuse to remember anything at all about it. So yeah, what she's getting at is she's saying that when the, gen the first Genesis wave happened after 225, it became one of the weirdest justifications you know, to have, you know, this adaptation take place and have the characters written the way they were. Now, continuing on, and I quote, So while it was a great Sonic and One adaption Satyam fanfiction crossover, ultimately its fun and charm was overwritten by confusion and frustration with the references to the past reality, just making it worse 
the reboot would commit the exact same crime, but worse. It shouldn't have been a damn reboot. It should have been a separate continuity entirely, and I will always just call it that instead. And what she's alluding to, uh, what she's alluding to basically is, of course, this here, where she basically, you know, is saying that this, re this soft retcon reboot, which is supposed to take place kind of within the same continuity and timeline, is it's is basically an entirely different continuity, you know, instead. Like, it has nothing to do with the originals. It's its own separate thing, and that's how she and obviously several others are viewing it. Continuing on, and I quote, Screw the Genesis wave. Even Penders never had ideas that pissed me off more than that because at least he didn't erase everything about the comic we loved with a nonsensical plot device. It's sad when even a random fan constantly has better ideas of what the story arc should have been like. It should have been all a simulation in another dimension in the past, just a dream. Instead, Flynn takes the most convoluted and stupid explanation for this later instead of just keeping things simple. In other words, what she's explaining is that what we got with, you know, from 225 onward, if you will, from 225 onward, would have made more sense if it was simulation, like simulation training, if it was in another dimension, you know, another place, another dimension deal, uh, in the past, like they're flashing back and talking about an event in the past, or if it was did a dream, like, you know, being hooked up to him, like, you know, they get gassed by Eggman and they're hooked up to this thing where it's all a dream, hallucination kind of deal, but instead, you know, she points out that Flynn decided to go in the direction that he did, which wasn't the best, which wasn't the best idea, period, in her opinion. Continuing on, and I quote, Sally being turned into a robot sucked because not only did it never get resolved by Flynn, so we had to wait years for its resolution online, which was Sonic, which was ArchieSonicOnline.com. But if it was completely forced that it happened at all, Okay, this, let me reread that. Sally being turned into a robot sucked because not only did, he, did it never get resolved by Flynn, so we had to wait years for its resolution online, but it was completely forced that it happened at all since she made a stupid plan wasting all of her friends' talents and went into the death tank with nothing to contribute along with Sonic when she could have had her friends destroy the roboticizer. And again, she points out that, you know, when Sally went in there with Sonic, that she, instead of going into herself, she could have brought her friends in, probably took Bunny with her or somebody with her, you know, and together just basically destroyed the roboticizer and got out as quickly as they could. But that didn't happen. Continuing on, and I quote, The explosion on the Death Egg, leaving it, quote-unquote, heavily damaged, should have easily made it fall out of the sky right there, but instead, we had the death egg chase happen anyway. Sally being roboticized was already done as a concept and ended at its proper climax. And with portable deroboticizers being established concept already, there was no excuse for her being a robot for as long as she was. And what she's alluding to is issue 29. In issue 29, Sonic and Dulce... Um, basically caused one of the hovercrafts with a swap bot, with a group of swap bots into the crash. And what they find in that hovercraft 
is a portable deroboticizer. And that they find out that the portable deroboticizer, once they bring it back to the Freedom Fighters and they show it to them, they find out that it can only be used for one time only. It only has enough power to be utilized once, which it does get utilized thanks to Dulcie when the plan that Sally had originally come up with to be an undercover a roboticized agent, you know, had backfired because, long story short, Rhoda had developed this little earpiece that would have basically, when she got roboticized, would have integrated itself, would have merged itself with her and thus allowed her to have a free, you know, a free will, you know, once again, while she uh, still have a free will while she was roboticized, and fell off her, got discovered by, you know, got discovered uh, by the swap pods, given to Snively and Robotnik, they find out what it is, and they basically, you know, destroy it once, you know, you know, basically once, you know, it becomes useless because, again, it fell out of Sally's ear where Rhoda had placed it when she was pretending to, you know, run away and allowing herself to be caught and all that. So, yeah, that was, so yeah, that's what she's alluding to, issue 29. Okay, continuing on. You know, Ixus's, okay, Ixus's wimpification, that's what she said, Ixus's wimpification starts here because thanks to the Genesis wave somehow, he spent time lying on the ground like a wimp instead of helping, and worst of all, the Genesis wave made him get that stupid words in his head's taunting him illness, which Eggman didn't intentionally program the Genesis wave to do, uh, to do despite Ixus, which would have felt less arbitrary. All it was all it was made to do was make roboticizing some people possible again somehow. Okay. All it was made to do was make roboticizing some people possible again somehow after temporarily making the world free of Legion errors errors for no reason with Antoine and Roder being reset as characters. Continuing on. Continuing on. So, uh, and before I do, she's basically pointing out that the Genesis wave, you know, as she's pointed out already, or at least alluded to, was only meant to be around so that Robotnik could have the ability to roboticize without any, you know, immunity or anything being in existence. All right, continuing on. Anyway, all of Ixus's dumb wizard illness... All, okay, anyway, all Ixus's dumb wizard illness does is deliberately... Uh, deliberate him when he's trying to be helpful to the heroes and since Nicole was forced and since Nicole has a force field for the city Titan Metal Sonic showing up in it was complete uh, nonsense I try to move this here was complete nonsense and yet it had to show up to make Ixus and yet it had to show up to make Ixus have to save the city and get elected king as a reward. And Ixus had to fight, uh, and Ixus had to fight it to get Bunny covered in crystals and somehow deroboticize her by accident afterwards. Yeah, because an elemental wizard can deroboticize now. Flynn gives him new powers as the plot demands, just like Superman and even Galligan Sonic didn't have it this bad. Which is Mike Galligan, who used to be one of the head writers, or one of the contributing writers. Continuing on, I quote, So what happened to Bunny was forced too, just like with Sally. Ixus may have legitimately earned the city's trust and respect, but it was ridiculous 
that he was even needed to protect the city in the first place with Nicole around. Sure, Nicole was sad because of Sally, but why wouldn't she protect the entire city with a force field just because she didn't feel like protecting them? The death egg's still up there. Shouldn't it have been obvious what they needed her to do? Continuing on. Besides, the awful way Ixus was talking after the crowd starting, started wanting him to be king completely ruined the believability of them wanting him elected as king. When his wizards tell him there's an opportunity to seize, he says, Opportunity? Out loud in front of people and they don't get confused and suspicious. When Elizas learns that his sister was roboticized, Ixus asks the crowd with a smile if they want a leader who's distracted by grief and heartache, and Sonic shouted at him, Do you have any class? That should have made everyone hate him right there. Plus, when he was told that, plus, when he was told what happened to Bunny, he just said that it was a minor mistake and said with a smile, To the hospital! Instead of acting remorseful, he was obviously transparent. So what, you know, she's pointing out there is, you know, when, you know, when all this happens, when all this happens, you know, Exus basically shows that he doesn't give a damn. That Flynn basically writes him as not giving a damn, and that the people of all characters, the citizens, you know, should have been against this guy for not showing any remorse or grief about what was going on. About what happened to Sally, what was going on with Bunny. You know, basically the citizens were made to look dumb, in a, from her opinion. You know, they were made to look, you know, dumb. And that, that right there is a major issue that, you know, I will agree with. That is a major issue I will agree with. It's like, why would you have the citizens who most of them loved and respect Sally, loved and respect Bunny, accept this guy or accept this guy as king and not call him out for, hey, you know, Sonic's right. Where, where's your class? Where's your grief? Where's your remorse? Instead, it's like, let's elect him king! Yay! Even then, even then, Kara, Lin Kara himself, if he was to read this, if he was to do a review on this, Lin Kara himself would be like, what the heck? What sense does that make? You know, he's like, even he would be confused by this. He'd be like, what? You know, what sense does that make? Anyway. Anyway, that is one thing she points out. Out that Ian Flynn should have not done. He shouldn't have made the citizens so obviously stupid about what was going on. Continuing on, and I quote, There were a lot of Mecha Sally stalls where we run into things that look like they should have easily let the heroes go free or capture Mechasali just for those things to be passed up. And again, what I'm talking about is the fact that every time they encountered her, it was rinse and repeat. They'd attack, they'd fight her, they'd attack her, you know, not try to really forcibly attack her, but try to, you know, ease her down, try to, you know, you know, try to basically, you know, not hurt her as much or damage her as much, but instead she would fight them, get away, and away you go. Continuing on, and I quote, Knuckles refusing to give Sonic a warp ring to go 
to her right away was at least understandable since he would always hold back against her and do nothing but uselessly but uselessly okay let me reread that let me reread that and I quote Knuckles refusing to give Sonic a warp ring to go to her right away was at least understandable since he would always hold back against her and do nothing but uselessly hold hands with her when he could have hit her with a ton of spin dashes so that she'd be too damaged to resist him capturing her and taking her back home immediately. Instead, they see Sally a lot and can never defeat her because she's always flies away super easily and Sonic fights her and Sonic fights like a moron against her. Fights, and she puts in the quote, fights. He just grabs her hands. Hands. He just grabs her hands. So what he, what she's alluding to is during the arc, every time they encountered Sally, and I noticed this too, when Sally was Mecha Sally, is Sonic, instead of like going after her, spin dashing her, doing what he has to do, instead he's just holding her back. Like, you know, he doesn't really want to fight her. He doesn't want to hurt her. And what he's trying to do, and maybe th this is a bit of a nod of continuity I will give Ian. Maybe what he's trying to do is get through to her, knowing Sally is strong enough to get through this, you know, whole, you know, prisoner, lost a free will kind of deal. But that never happens. Although there are moments that I've pointed out that it looks like she might be on the verge of getting her free will. It might be there, but what's controlling her is, and preventing her from completely getting it is too strong. And continuing on, and I quote, Fights, he just grabs her hands. What did Sonic do with that Zone Link transporter he brought Patch back to, the, to his universe with? He could have used that a lot more often instead of relying on Knuckles. And what she's uh, talking about is when it was revealed that Patch had replaced Antoine, he used this transporter that he had had from his uh, Zone Cop counterpart, I believe, called Zonic, and used it to take Patch back to his universe and bring the real Antoine back. And what she's alluding to is that why not have him use that to do what he has to do? Continuing on, and I quote, And we see a, f and we see a ring being mentioned around Sally twice, which makes me wonder how it could possibly be prevented from granting her free will to betray him like with Jules and Bernadita. Oh, Bernadette. Uh, Bernadette, I should say. Let me reread that. And we see a ring being mentioned around Sally twice, which makes me wonder how it could be possible or how it could possibly be prevented from granting her free will to betray him like Jules and Bernadette. And both times, I'm wondering why the heroes won't use or won't wish upon a ring to cure Sally when Khan was wished back to normal with a ring earlier. So he knows what they're capable of. It's so bizarre that the writer was trying as hard as possible to force Sally to stay a robot for as long as possible. Hmm, why wasn't Amy roboticized instead, for example? The plot would have been the same, and then nobody would be saying the arc was too dark. Okay, so what she's pointing out is at the end of one of the issues, we see robotic, uh, we see Eggman Robotnik uh, complete his weaponization uh, of Sally into 
you know, the weaponized version of Mecha Sally, which he was. Um, basically, we see him completing that. And what he does when he's finishing completing is he lifts a compartment on her back and places a, a ring in there, uh, you know, a power ring. But from what it's stated in the story is it's modified so that unlike other power rings, it won't grant her her free will. It won't do that. Which, to someone like Crystal Maiden and anybody else, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because, you know, how is that possible? How can that be made possible? Now, I will mention this. When Sonic Satyam was in existing, uh, was around, and it still is. Sonic Satyam is still around. And you can watch it on Paramount Plus, by the way. Um, both seasons. But when it was originally aired... And even they alluded this in the comics, is that, you know, they, one of the things that the Freedom Fighters tried to do was you make sure that Robotnik never got any access to the power rings. Because if he did, he would use it against them. Now, in the episode Hooked on Sonic, he does you know, obtain a power ring that allows him to use a, a, a laser to basically track Sonic and blast Sonic no matter where he's at. You know, kind of homing in on him. And that's what they don't want. But, but it's never alluded to, it's never hinted at that he could modify it. You know, he could modify, uh, you know, the, um, the rings to prevent, you know, free will from, you know, being activated by the rings. It's never alluded by that. Every time a ring is used in the cartoon and even in the comic, it indicates free will is possible. That it can get, grant free will either permanently or temporarily. And yet here, she's looking at the fact that how, you know, how is a power ring preventing her from having free will? Well, according to the story, it's because it was modified. It was modified. In fact, let me reread that. And I quote, And we see a ring being mentioned around Sally twice, which makes me wonder how it could be possible or how it could possibly be prevented from granting her free will to betray him like like with Jules and Bernadette. In other words, basically, um, in issue 175, or not issue 175, but issue 75, we see, um, you know, Robotnik Eggman thinking he's gained up a hand, he's got all the roboticized citizens under his control again, Except he doesn't account for Bernadette and Jules because for their anniversary, about an issue or so prior, they're given power rings which are basically, um, you know, basically melded into their, into the roboticized bodies, into the wrist, if you will, thus preventing them from ever losing their free will. So again, it makes her wonder how is that even possible and yet it's because it was modified from what I understand. And then she brings up, well, what about Amy? Why wasn't Amy put into this predicament? You know, pointing out that if Amy had been put in this predicament, people wouldn't have a problem saying it wasn't too dark because of the fact that it's Amy Rose. And since she's a Sega game character, a Sega Sonic game character, her robotization wouldn't, you know, be too long. Kind of very similar to the crossover with Mega Man. She was turned into a robot master for a couple of issues, but then restored. You know, so... You know, obviously, knowing that Sega wouldn't have allowed her to stay, you know, a robot master or roboticized for any longer than what she was. 
Continuing on, though, and I quote, because I know this is going for a lot longer than anybody would expect, even I. It's going on for an hour, so I do apologize. But continuing on, and I quote, There's also tons of pointless side missions, uh, side mission filler. I wouldn't feel like it was filler if it wasn't revisiting the same places we'd already saw. Like we revisit Furville, uh, like we revisit Furville in it twice, for example. This makes it pale in comparison to Ixis, to the Ixis chase, which was all about will building. The filler in the Death Egg chase wouldn't feel like that if it was new parts of the world being shown off on the way to one of the uh, to one of the ice poles. To uh, uh, let me read you that. The filler in in the Death Egg chase wouldn't feel like that if it was new parts of the world being shown off on the way to one of the ice poles. Continuing on, and I quote, Because Ixis de-roboticized Bunny by accident somehow, she becomes useless. And this is even lampshaded by her. But the problem is that she could have been given inventions to compensate for her lack of cybernetics. Just fine. Jet boots like Sadie M. Robotnik had would let her fly like before. She could be wearing stuff on her arms to let her shoot lasers like Jenica's, uh, not Bunny's friend, clearly had to replace her arm cannon. Those arm devices could have also let her create force fields. She, you know, basically she's pointing out all the obvious things that, you know, Flynn could have had done to help, you know, make Bunny not feel so, like, downtrodden and useless. And continuing on. She couldn't get her super strength back, though, unless the heroes could use a Chaos Emerald from the Spatial Zone to do that for her. Okay, guys, sorry about that. Uh, the battery on my camera uh, died, so I had to charge it, take a little bit of a break, go get something to eat, you know, buy some things at the store, let it rest a little bit. And if you hear anything in the background, I got the cooler on now. It's about 90 degrees outside, so I want to cool it off here in the house. Um, now, where was I? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Okay, I to... okay, here it is. I think I was at... Um... Okay, well, let me let me reread uh, this entire page because <laughs> this is where I left off, so I do apologize. But this is what Crystal Maiden 77 said, and I quote, And we see a ring being mentioned around Sally twice. Which makes me wonder how it could possibly be prevented, or how, okay, let me reread that. And we see a ring being mentioned around Sally twice, which makes me wonder how it could possibly be prevented from granting her her free will to betray him like Jules and Bernadette. Uh, and, Bernadette. and both times I'm wondering why the heroes won't wish upon a ring to cure Sally when Khan, Monkey Khan that is, was wished back to normal with a ring earlier. So he knows what they're capable of. So he knows what they're capable of. It's so bizarre that the writer was trying as hard as possible to force Sally to stay a robot for as long as possible. Hmm, I, hmm, why wasn't Amy roboticized instead, for example? The plot would have been the same and then nobody would be saying this arc was too dark. Now, as I mentioned I, before my camera battery died, uh, basically uh, what she's getting at um, is 
for anybody that followed the comics and also watched Sonic San AM, they know that power rings, uh, depending on how they're utilized, temporarily, if not permanently, re uh, reestablish free will into those that have been roboticized. Uh, for example, you take a look at season one and two uh, with Uncle Chuck. You uh, take a look at how they're utilized uh, to, you know, give uh, Jules and Bernadette, uh, Sonic's parents, their free will, even though they're roboticized, you know, on a permanent basis. You know, you know, it does bring up a lot of questions because, you know, what she's looking at is what was talked about, what Eggman Robotnik had talked about at the end of one of the issues where we see him finishing up uh, his weaponization uh, of Mecha Sally, Sally as Mecha Sally. He's finishing up her weaponization uh, of her and he lifts up the back of her and puts a power ring in there. And I think it's question of why he would do that. And I believe uh, Ian Flynn had him mentioned that he had modified the power ring so that it would prevent, you know, prevent Sally from regaining her free will. He had basically modified it. Now, I will give credit where it's due. This is kind of a reference to, you know, back in Sonic's at AM and even in the early to mid portion era of the uh, comic under the Archie license, where it was always talked about, or at least alluded to, um, you know, that the Freedom Fighters would do their best to keep, you know, Robotnik from gaining the power rings because even though they grant special abilities to mostly Sonic and those that could utilize them for good, you know, there's a chance that Eggman could manipulate them and use them for evil. And uh, we kind of get a, a sample of how he's how he plans to utilize them, you know, in season one in the episode Hooked on Sonics, where he, as I mentioned, puts it into this laser, this, you know, heat-seeking laser that blasts, you know, that could detect where Sonic's at and blast him, you know, every time Sonic goes fast. So, you know, that was kind of alluded to as not hinted at and shown on the show, and alluded to and hinted at in the comics during the early to mid-portion era of the Archie license. So that's what she's getting. So basically, what she's getting at, though, is that besides that, you know, we, you know, we have, you know, the, the, uh, the power rings always used to uh, basically, you know, reestablish free will for those that had it taken away during robotization. And, you know, she's wondering how, you know, how is this possible? And like I said, basically it's because it's alluded to in the comic that he had modified it. He had modified it, thus preventing, <clears throat> thus preventing it from regaining her free will. Or at least he did a modification to a weaponized body that would basically prevent a power ring that would be used as an energy source for her, like a battery, from, re you know, from reestablishing her free will. Basically... You know, the weaponization, the way he upgraded her, basically blocks out the power ring's ability to, you know, de uh, you know reestablish your free will. Although there are times during this Mecha Sally arc, like when she's ordered to go after her brother, and instead of going after him, she's looking out the window of the hut where he and his wife were, you know, staying at. And you kind of see almost like, a, 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 almost like an image of remorse on her roboticized face. Like, you know, she doesn't want to do this. And even though she could have easily gone after him, it's like you see that remorse that's kind of giving her back just a teeny bit of control. Not much, but just a teeny bit. And I think maybe, not to give Ian a lot of credit here, but maybe that's where we were supposed to kind of get the idea 
had things gone originally as planned, that she was slowly, very slowly, regaining her free will, much to the chagrin of Eggman later on, but we'll never know. <clears throat> so, continuing on, though, but, yeah, she was, you know, wondering why, you know, why they didn't, you know, what was the purpose of that, or why they didn't just use a power ring to wish her back to normal, at least wish her free will to be restored. You know, she's confused about that. It's like, basically, what was the point, you know, you know, what was the point of going this far when you had all these outs in front of you, when you had all these outs to not, you know, keep it as so long and depressing, if you know what I mean. Uh, just checking something there. Uh, anyway, continuing on, and this is what she says, because i got to reread this, because, like I said, my battery died on me. This is what she said, and I quote, There's also tons of pointless side mission filler. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like it was filler if it wasn't revisiting the same places we already saw. Like we revisit Furville. Uh, like we revisit Furville in it twice, for example. This makes it pale in comparison to the Exus chase, which was all about world building. The filler in the Dark Egg chase wouldn't feel like that if it was new parts of the world being shown off on the way to one of the ice poles. Continuing on. Because Ix is deroboticized bunny by accident, somehow, emphasis capitalization on the word somehow, she becomes useless, and this is even lampshaded by her, but the problem is that she could have been given inventions to compensate for her lack of cybernetics, you know, just fine. Jet boots like Sadiam Robotnik had would let her fly like before. She could be wearing stuff on her arm to let her shoot Lasers like Jenna Kaz, not Bunny's friend, clearly had to replace her arm cannon. Those arm devices could also let her create force fields. Basically, what she's getting at is that instead of making Bunny or writing Bunny to be, you know, useless and everything, or feeling like she's now useless and not, you know, valuable to the team anymore because of the fact that she's no longer, you know, partially roboticized, what she's pointing out is, look, you have a group of very intelligent inventing uh, characters that can invent all kinds of stuff. Why not invent, you know, you know, jet-powered boots so she can fly? Why not put little, like, uh, little wrist things on her arms, like Jenna Ka, uh, in that Dark Mobius uh, storyline, which was basically an adaption, a loose adaption of Other M, you know, so she can fire. She can do, you know, fire lasers or put shields up. You know, and that is a good point. They could have done that. But this is Ian Flynn we're talking about, and the reason he did it is, this, is basically the reason I've mentioned before, and I'll get to that uh, towards the end here. She couldn't eat, continuing on though, quote, she couldn't get her super strength, she couldn't get her super strength back, though, unless the heroes could use a chaos emerald from the special zone to do that for her. Why didn't they just do go and... Okay, let me reread that. And I quote. I think this is where I stopped. She couldn't get her super strength back, though, unless the heroes could use a Chaos Emerald from the Special Zone to do that for her. Why didn't they go for all the Special State Ages in a row and get all, and get all the Emeralds, by the way? For the most part, she didn't need to be a cyborg to have those powers, and it just makes the engineers of the Freedom Fighters look like Idiots, capitalization, emphasis on the word idiots, instead of the geniuses they're supposed to be. Because these inventors never thought to make 
the common sense inventions Bunny needed. In other words, basically she's like, well, if Bunny missed having super strength, why not try to find some chaos emeralds in the special zones, bring them to her, and that she gets her super strength? Or why didn't the freedom, the inventors of the freedom fighters like Rotor and Uncle Chuck and so on, you know, come to the conclusion, oh, we can build cybernetics to the Nana, even Nicole, if you will, you know, oh, we can build cyber, we can build, you know, replacements for Bunny through the cybernetics, uh, you know, uh, uh, cybernetic replacements, I should say, through the use of the nanites. And I think she, and she even brings it up in just a moment here. So yeah, she's basically pointing out, out the fact that, you know, none of this makes sense. Like, you know, before Ian Flynn came around, Ken Penders, Mike Gallagher, you know, um, even Carl Bowlers, if you will, you know, with all due respect to Ian, they would have basically said, you know what, you know, she's de-roboticized, this is what we're going to do to help her stay part of the team and still be that same old bunny that everybody knows and loves. You know, that's what she's pointing out, that that could have been the easiest solution that Ian could have gone down, but he didn't. Now, continuing on, and I quote, so she runs away to do so she runs away to join the Dark Legion to get cybernetics that would have bombs in them instead of just asking Rotor, Tails, or Nicole with her nanites to make new cybernetics. So what she pointed out there is, you know, at the end of one of the arcs, uh, one of the end of, at the end of one of the issues during this arc, Bunny, you know, wanting to feel youthful again. And, you know, kind of be that contributing factor she once was, runs off to the Dark Legion where her Uncle Beauregard is in charge to get the cybernetics to replace her arm and her legs and kind of be like she once was. And we get a little bit of a hint of this at the end of the Mighty, uh, Mighty and Ray Super Universe uh, story arc that they did when we see a silhouette of Bunny standing outside a tent. And at the end of that, and Beauregard kind of alluding to the fact that he had already gone through with the process. Continuing on, or well, before I continue on, you know, before I continue on, you know, so you know, she brings, so she's bringing that up, up because of the fact that to her it would have made more sense that uh, for Tails, Rhoda, and especially Nicole with the nanites to basically create the cybernetics she needed to help us still be a contributing factor on the team. You know, instead of her running off to the Dark League Legion with her, where her uncle is to get them. Now, continuing on, and I quote, Nate made them just fine. Rhoda would have just let Bar... Uh, uh, Rhoder... Okay, let me continue. <coughs> let me reread that. Nate made them just fine. Rotor should have just let Bunny borrow his nanite suit instead. Oh, now, now, now let me read it out. Okay. Nate, I do apologize. Nate made them just fine. Rotor should have just let Bunny borrow his nanite suit. Instead, he becomes the new Bunny. Because, in case you guys don't know, in the story, Rotor, along with Nicole's help, gets an Iron Man-like uh, suit created for him so he can go back into battle. And, you know, instead of saying, instead of being like, oh, I got this suit, Bunny, here, use this instead, and I'll just watch from the sidelines. To her, that would have made more sense. It would have made more sense if the nanites that Nicole had could have helped 
Rudder or Tails, you know, or together, all three could have, you know, come together and built more cybernetics for Bunny. To them, it would have made more, to her, to Crystal here, it would have made more sense had they done that, had they gone in that direction, but they, you know, had Ian Flynn gone in that direction, but he didn't. Now, continuing on, and I quote, and Bunny somehow being useless is why Antron had to sacrifice himself to save Elias from Metal Sonic. Because he took him on alone without Bunny or Sonic protecting him and got blown up by its self-destruct me self mechanism. Continu and this basically contributes to Bunny doing what she did, did it and everything. And to her, still, it doesn't make any sense. Continuing on, and I quote, Somehow, that merely left him in a coma because the fan reaction to Sally dying was so strong. But since he never does wake up in the comic, he could have been killed off, off like would, he could have been killed off. Like that would make sense, like, and like was originally planned. And it'd make just as much sense, okay, I don't know how she wrote this, but let me reread that. Somehow, somehow that left him, Antoine, in a coma because the fan reaction to Sally dying was so strong. But since he never does wake up in the comic, he could have been killed off. Off. Like originally planned. And it would have made just as much sense. Jeffrey and Sonic had explosions be just as close to them. And they weren't even injured. Bunny ran away because of what happened to Antron. And he stays in a coma even though this is a world with tons of sci-fi technology and magic. Antron should have been easily healed by a healing stasis tube. Like the one that sat the like the one that got Sally emphasis capitalization on Sally's name Sally out of her coma after a near death experience. So it would have been so it'd been ideal if Archie Sonic Online would go with that or would go with that. What what about wish granting wings? So what she's pointing out basically, so what she's pointing out basically is because we never got any resolution true resolution um in the book you know in the comic officially antron remained in his coma basically he was dead anyway and that would have made more sense just to kill him off like originally planned but because the reaction by fans and by sega to sally's death during endgame was so strong that they decided that ian flynn decided nope i'm just going to go with the coma it'd be easier because you know you can come out of a coma just like sally did but again, you know, to her, it just doesn't make sense because, you know, if you weren't going to bring him out of that coma, you know, before the book changed up, before the story got abruptly stopped, then why not just kill him off like you wanted to? Now, what she's pointing out here about Archie Sonic Online is that, you know, the, basically the world that the characters are in is a world full of... A lot of science, science, a lot of sci-fi technology and magic. She even points out something from Endgame, where it states Antron should easily be healed by, or should be easily healed by a healing stasis tube, like the one that got Sally out of her coma after a near-death experience. You know, basically the end where she nearly died in Endgame or was proclaimed dead, and then we find out at the end she only ended up in a coma, and Doctor Quack put her in a stasis tube to heal her body, which is what she woke up from 
a la fairy tale wise by Sonic. And, you know, basically she's also pointing out that it would be ideal for Archie Sonic Online to go that route, you know, in the end. She even brings up the wishing granny wings as another possibility. What she's basically saying is there's so much plot holing that could easily hopefully be resolved by Archie Sonic Online when that moment comes that if they go in that direction or they say, let's put Antoine in a stasis tube like Sally was put in or let's use wish granny rings to heal him it make more sense. It would make his near sacrifice, you know, heroic, but also he'd be able to learn from his mistake. Like, okay, I can't go and face something like Metal Sonic by myself anymore. Now, continuing on, and I quote, Bunny insists that the rings don't work as well for Antron, even though the quote-unquote map in Sonic Super Special 1 proved otherwise and her wishing upon the rings should have been the obvious idea. All the obvious solutions are ignored. Even the device that woke up the king is explained to be why he went nuts, and that's why it's ignored too. I started to wonder why he was trying so hard to force these sad AM characters to be in these depressing situations beyond, uh, beyond all in-universe logic, and maybe if it made sense, and it was one at a time instead of almost all of them at once, I wouldn't have gotten suspicious because it would have been confusing. And it's around this time that he uh, brings up uh, a picture, hopefully you'll see it by now, of, you know, someone stating that if he cared so much about the characters and wanted to save them, then why did he do this? And they have images, all the panels of kind of explaining like, yeah, uh, Ian, if you wanted to save the characters, why did you do this? Continuing on. And I quote, So what happened to Sally was forced, and the same goes for Bunny and Antoine. At least it makes sense that people would fear Nicole after the Iron Nicole incident. But if Rotor's nanite suit makes him able to, uh, makes him able to get into the action just fine, he should have been back in the action permanently after that, and been back to field missions. It shouldn't have taken him so long to think to make that suit that makes his back injury obsolete. Because basically uh, what happens, I think it's in, um, trying to think, uh, yeah, it's basically around 175 uh, where he gets injured saving somebody and his back, you know, get, you know, just goes out. His back gets injured to the point that, you know, physically without something to support him, he can't, you know, get back into battle. He's pretty much, you know, shelved indefinitely. And what she's pointing out is that, you know, after the Iron Dominion arc, why didn't he just think about, oh, Nicole, let's build me a suit, boom, I'm back in action. It would have made sense until, instead of waiting until this moment. Alright, and finally, this is the final part of the Mecha Sally portion of the, of the uh, essay, the statement she made. Then again, I'll provide a link in the description so you guys can look it up. So there was no, and I quote, this is how she finishes up the Mecha Sally portion. So there was no excuse to make him, or so there was no excuse to make him get out, or to get, blah, let me reread that. So there was no excuse to make him get put out of commission by it for so long. 
Most of the freedom fighters from Sadayam were out of commission and it was entirely contrived, ruining any appeal that could have had. What's simply and easy to believe that the writer hated these kids. Okay, what's simple. Okay, let me reread that. What's, and I quote Crystal Maiden 7. What's simple and easy to believe that the writer hated these characters or that he somehow loved them when he put them all, capitalized emphasis on the word all, all through hell. It's convoluted and naive to assume he liked them. He didn't have to write any of this. And let me reread that so I can get a better understanding myself. What's simple and easy to believe? What's simple and easy to believe? And she should have, she should have put a question mark there. No offense, Crystal. But she should have put a question mark there. She said, what is simple and easy to believe? That the writer hated these characters? Or that he somehow loved them when he put them all through the hell? He put them all through hell. It's convoluted and naive to assume he liked them. He didn't have to write any of this. So what she's stating, and again, this is where the picture that you see up here by now comes into, comes into play. Uh, she's stating that if Ian Flynn did care about these characters as much as he said he did, then he wouldn't have put them through any of this crap. He wouldn't have done any of that. He would have left things alone, or he would have done it in a way to where this wouldn't have dragged on for as long as it did. But to her, it just proves he never did like the characters, which is why, obviously, I guess from her point of view, you don't see them referenced or even appearing in the IDW book. But we'll have to see. But that's just her opinion. Now, concluding the Mecha Sally portion arc, uh, the Me Mecha Sally arc portion of this uh, essay statement, then again, I'll provide a link in the description for This is what she says, and I quote, Then the damn reboot wave happened instead of Sonic getting Sally home, which could have seen, which we could have seen in time if those stupid pointless game adaptions weren't forced to cover an entire issue each. So we have to wait like six years for Archie Sonic Online to show us how Sonic de-roboticized Sally. And who knows how long they're going to take Hank solving all the other plot hole threads. 70 years at this rate? So that was the Mecha Sally arc. And, you know, she goes on to talk about, you know, other things like the Tails doll, the, the Knuckles portion of the story, stuff like that. But, long, but in the long run, folks, what she's getting at is, to her, it just doesn't make any sense and that any of this had to happen the way it did. Basically, what she's looking at is the fact that the story has... The overall Mecha Sally arc has way too many plot holes, and a lot of these meaningless plot holes could have easily be, could have easily been solved had Ian Flynn thought about utilizing continuity from the past. But you see, Ian Flynn had made it clear since he came on board that he wanted to, as I mentioned previous mentioned earlier, he wanted to create his own path. He wanted to, you know, go in his own direction. You know, and start anew. You know, kind of keep things, you know, fresh and fresh and in in in, in uh, fresh and what's the word I'm looking for? Um, interesting, fresh and interesting, fresh and invigorating. That's the word. Fresh and invigorating. That's what he wanted. You know, yes, he referenced and acknowledged other stories in the continuity that he was taking over. But over time, he wanted to, like I say, establish his own path, 
his own directive, if you will. Which is why one of the first things he wanted to do was clean up the unnecessary amount of characters that were in the book by killing off a lot of characters. Some that had not been utilized in a long time. I'm like Tommy Turtle and that Horse Knight or whatever his name was. You know, he basically killed them off because, again, they had not been utilized for so long. So why were they even in the book? Yes, I will agree that the direction Ian Flynn has gone, even when he began it, even when he began, you know, has been a little surprising and dark and all that. But basically, what he's trying, but basically, what he was trying to do, like I said, was create his own path. Did he have to go the links that he did when he came to the Mecha Sally arc? No, he didn't. And yes, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make sense. I mean, Sally doing what she did without realizing, oh, I have my friends to help me out, you know, just like I'd had before in issue 177 that I pointed out earlier. You know, when, you know, all, when basically Eggman brought that, um, that mecha suit that he, or that mecha bot he was controlling, that he was, you know, riding inside, he was controlling, you know, that he had made specifically to fight Sonic, you know, and was successful in doing so when it came to issue 175. Here's the thing. He may have made the bot specifically for Sonic to combat Sonic, but as Sonic pointed out in 177, and Sally was the one that came up with the plan for this, that, you know, Eggman may have made the bot specifically for him, but he didn't make, but Eggman had forgotten about his allies and his friends, and that he should have made the bot not just specifically for Sonic, but also to combat his other friends. And because he, you know, didn't notice that, he didn't plan for that, you know, is what caused his downfall. And that's what she's getting at with Sally. That Sally could have easily done the same thing. She could have realized, oh, I have my friends and my allies that, you know, have these abilities to help us take down this death egg, take, help us destroy this global roboticizer. I won't have to you know, probably sacrifice myself or get myself gunned down by a torrent and as Ian Flynn put it, originally turned into Swiss cheese. So in the long run, what Crystal Maiden 77 is trying to point out here is that this arc had the potential to be good had Ian Flynn not, you know, filled it up with so many plot holes and ignored so much continuity that was already established even before his run you know, had he not done that, this arc, in her opinion, could have been more popular, could have been a more, you know, enjoyable, you know, story, um, if you will, and not gone as long as it did. I mean, yes, I will agree. Did the unnecessary game adaption issues that they did for the main and the universe books, were they necessary to happen when they did? No, they could have waited for those. But again, Sega at times has, Sega at times had, and I think with, even with IDW, has the ability to basically step in and say, hey, we're going to call the shots for this issue. We want this in there first. We want this to be a priority. And that's what happened here. Yes, did they add some stories for the main uh, story to continue afterwards as backups? Yes, they did. But the point that I'm getting at, and Crystal's getting at, is that you know they didn't need to utilize those issues in the middle of a story that had they taken that out of the equation, they could have finished the story up a lot quicker. But that didn't happen. That did not happen. But again, here's the thing. The reason all this occurred, as convoluted and, un and as unnecessary as it was, and ignoring of continuity 
and many plot holes being throw, thrown about that should have not been thrown about. The reason Ian Flynn did this, from what I understand, was because he wanted to reestablish the Freedom Fighters. He wanted to basically rebuild them from the ground up so that the newer viewers could have a, newer viewers and readers of the book could have a better understanding as to why people, longtime fans, enjoyed these characters. And by putting them through this and having them rebuild themselves back into what they once were to finally overthrow and beat Robotnik, you know, in the long run, would have basically helped the newer generation understand why these characters are so beloved and maybe get the newer generation to accept them as well and enjoy them as well. That's why he did it. That's what was his original plan. The thing is, again, as I mentioned before, he wasn't counting on basically, uh, you know, basically, you know, Sega, you know, getting um, put into this legal battle with Ken Penders and Archie being put into a legal battle with Ken Penders that both Archie and Ken had started on each other, you know, by issuing each other lawsuits and cease and desistes, you know, you know, he didn't account on that. And if I'm Ian Flynn, and any writer, freelance or not, knows this, that if you're going to create a story and you have major plans for it to go so long, you have to check all your X's and O's. You got to check all your boxes and make sure everything is all good to go. Because if you find out that, you know, what you originally thought was all good to go is not all good to go, and you have to change things alter things on the fly, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't have, maybe you should have rethought doing a long, a long-term story arc that basically, you know, nobody really liked. Nobody really liked in the first place. Yes, there were some that did, but there were mostly a lot more that didn't because of what Crystal made in 77 and myself and others have said. You know, because of the plot holes, the continuity errors, stuff like that. You know, the way it made Sally look, the, you know, you know, in the long run, you know, what it did. It just didn't make any sense to go the way he did. And like I said, and like I said, and like I said before, they could have easily resolved this in six to eight issues, four to eight, actually four to eight issues at the most, four issues to eight issues at the most. They could have resolved this. Even... You know, Marvel and DC don't take that many issues to resolve something unless it's been planned out out for years or, you know, for years prior to that. You know, unless they planned it out for years prior to that, the thing is, you know, they don't utilize so many issues, issues, you know, for story arcs. House of M didn't have to rely on so many issues. They did, what, eight issues and that was it. Eight issues. For House of M, and they got the point across there. The thing is, long story, long, long story short, long story short, what Crystal Maiden is getting at here is the same thing we've all gotten at. Ian Flynn may have had the best intentions, but had he not ignored continuity and not give us numerous plot holes that didn't make any sense. And were unnecessary and gave us, you know, just tons of filler, you know, issue after issue and became repetitive with the Mecha Sally deal with Sonic and the others fighting her, not wanting to hurt her, her flying away, stuff like that. This story would have been better. That's what she's, that basically is what I'm getting 
from what she says here in this in this portion of her statement and essay, which again, I will provide a link to in the description. But what do you guys think? What are your thoughts overall about Crystal Maiden 77 had to say? Crystal Maiden, hopefully you've been watching this. I know it went long. I do apologize for that. That is my fault. Uh, but, you know, hey, I just had to read and reread to make sure I got things correct in what you were saying and everything. So, again, guys, let me know what your thoughts are down below. Comment if you like in the live chat during the premiere. And check out Crystal Maiden 77's YouTube channel. Again, I'll provide a link right here at the end so you can click on it. Check her out. She's also on DeviantArt as well. But again, let me know what your thoughts are. And I will talk to you later. Stay safe. Get vaccinated. God bless. Have a good weekend. And I'm out.